0: South Carolina, on the coffee road. For those of you who don't know where that is, I lived on the first brick house on the right as you headed up the coffee road. And for many years, I was known for all the wrong reasons. So I want to just go ahead and own that right here today in front of all of you guys. I see several faces from Holly Springs Baptist Church, which is the church I grew up in. And um, I was the kid that the mom dragged out every week. I got a spanking every Sunday. Never failed. Well, it didn't fail. I got one every day of the week. Let me just go ahead and own that, too. The funny thing about that is um, now they have a word for that. It's called strong-willed. And we think about how great those strong-willed kids are going to be. In my day, they called it disobedient, and there was a punish for, punishment for it. And it required a belt and a little bit of time alone afterwards. But let me just say, if any of you guys knew me as Kelly Deaton what you can say is God still transforms lives. He's still not in the life-fixing business, but the life-changing business. And to be able to stand here before you today as a child of the Most High King is a ridiculous privilege. And many of you are probably... I had a teacher the last church I spoke in, one of my teachers who was one of my favorite teachers, Miss Harris. Some of you guys remember her from uh, elementary school. And she came up after the service and she said, I always wondered, what happened to you? And I thought, Jesus happened to me somewhere along the way. I found him. He found me. Man, isn't God great? Isn't God great that he still transformed lives? And I think about the fact that for all these years, God loved me. And now every day of my life is about telling people about that same God about that same Jesus, about that same Messiah that still loves them, what an undeserved privilege I have to be able to do that. I never dreamed this is my dream for my life. There was no part of this that I dreamed for me. But today I'm going to weave a little bit of my personal story into the way that God is working at Foothills Pregnancy Care Center because there's no mistake, there's, there's no big coincidence that I am there that I am there with young women who have walked the course of screwing up their life. Sometimes he uses the screw up to help the screw up, right? So let's pray this morning. God, we love you, we thank you, we glorify your name because you are so perfectly worthy to be glorified. God, I pray that today that you would let me choose the right words, that they would be seasoned with grace, that your Holy Spirit would not just be here today, but that he would use me today to say something that might impact lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would be mistaken if I came to a church and I didn't at least read the Bible while I was here to you today. And I'm really going to freak some of you out because I'm going to send you to the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter thirty. We're going to read only about five verses, because I have to be honest with you guys, the, the Old Testament freaks me out just a little bit. How many of you, do, do you does the Old Testament freak out just a little bit? Over the past six months of my life, God has had me studying two very different books of the Bible, Deuteronomy and Romans. Now, Deuteronomy is this great book of law. And it's not just a book of law, but it's the law of love that God has penned in each and every one of our hearts and then the book of Romans is this great law of grace. And I tried to figure out why God had me in these two very different books of the Bible at the same time. And over the last six months, he's broken my heart for the fact that grace was never intended to break the law. That grace, on the other hand, was meant to edify the law and to say that the law is true. And so as we read this morning, let's just think about those couple of things. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm starting at verse uh 15, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today, so it may be just a little bit different than what you're looking at. It says, Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep His commandments, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you're about to occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long good life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I am giving you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. Now I'll call on heaven and earth to be the witness of your choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life, so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love the Lord and you obey Him, you will live a long life in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. Thank you. Thank God for the reading of his word. Deuteronomy. Let me give you a little background here about Deuteronomy. This is the moments before Moses does not get to enter the promised land. See, Moses is teaching the people of Israel about how to go somewhere that he himself is never going to get to go, but he wants them to go desperately. And see, ultimately, what he is talking about is this great choice that they have. And at its most basic, fundamental elements, life is a choice. Every one of us sitting here today is here by choice. We're here by the fact that our moms chose to be mommies. Maybe we're here by the fact that our moms chose to give us up for adoption. But yet they chose life. And this great understanding that Moses has in Deuteronomy is that, gosh, this is an invitation to choose life. Now, like some of you guys, I had a great plan for my life. How many of you guys had one of those? Yeah. I had this huge great plan for my life. Let me tell you guys just a little bit about the plan that I had for my life so you can understand me just a little bit better the plan I had for my life from the time I was about 7th or 8th grade was to play college basketball. I ate basketball. I dreamed basketball. I even had a jump rope that a coach dared me to wear out one time. He said, I'll give you $100 if you'll wear out this jump rope. Man, I jump rope. Like, I can still, to this day, jump roping is one of the things I do well. Y'all can thank Coach Middleton for that, those of y'all sitting in this room. And I jumped that rope and jumped that rope. But it didn't make me a better basketball player. See, I had this problem. I had this big dream and big plan for my life. And I worked really hard at playing basketball. I practiced all the time. I loved the game. And I ended up going on to Spartanburg Methodist College to play basketball for one year. And one year. (laughs) How many years is college, those of y'all in attendance today? Something happened that first year that I was there. I realized that I had a problem. I wasn't talented. See, athletics, basketball, it requires more than a desire to play and a desire to be there. You have to be a little bit talented. And so, this great plan that I had for my life, which included one day being in the Olympics, yes, it did, but I couldn't jump. And I wasn't really fast. And I didn't really dribble the ball very well. But man, I had a heart to play. But that great plan for my life just ended. I remember waking up my first year in college one day. And it was at the end of the season. And I remember as the first season playing basketball that I was so glad it was over. I just thought, man, I just survived that. But I was so glad it was over. And in my mind, I thought, now What? I had this great plan for my life and this plan ended. And so I came up with this other great plan for my life. I'll never forget it. I thought, yes, I'm going to move back home. I know mom and dad have missed me. So I came home my senior year and I said, well, you know, that whole basketball thing didn't really work out for me this year. And I'm not planning on going back. And I hadn't gotten much further out of my mouth. And my dad, he leans back in his chair with his arms folded. And I he said, I sure hope your plan does not include coming back home. And I thought, well, there went the second great plan I ever had for my life. Oh, so we worked out this plan where I would play, pay rent. And so I went and got myself a little job over at Dynacast Plastics on Highway 28. And I thought... I'm going to make it rich. I'm going to be big time at Dynacast Plastics. That was the next big plan for my life that I had. And I was working the second shift. And about a week into it, I was inspecting these little tiny screws. And for those of you who really know me, you know, do not put me on inspecting anything. Because it looks close enough to me. Right? And so they put me on inspecting these little tiny screws. And I remember standing there one night, and this plastic would pop out on you, and it'd burn your arms. And I just thought... Man, there's got to be a better way. And then I came up with the next great plan for my life. I thought, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm joining the army. (laughs) Those of you who have been in the army can recognize completely that there was another great problem with the great plan I had for my life. So in 1991, I joined the army. And while I was in the army, God absolutely rocked. The core of my life. You see, I had been familiar with the gospel. I had grown up in church. I had heard the stories and I knew all the songs, including the hand motions. In fact, you know what I have? Some of y'all have these too. I have perfect attendance pins for Sunday school. 13 years of them. But there was a problem. I was only familiar with Jesus. I didn't have a real relationship with him. And while I was in the army, God began to reveal some things to me about myself. I met my husband, Tom. Y'all pray for him daily. He has to live with all this personality 24-7. I get to go home after your service today. He takes me home with him. Remember that when you pray for him daily. But think about this. I met my husband when I was in the army. And just like everything else I'd ever done in my life, it was an instant thing. I was instantly in love with him. And about after two months of dating, which I do not encourage, young people hear me, I do not encourage this. But after about two months of dating, Tom looked at me one day and he said, you're not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing. How about we get married? I said, sounds great to me. (laughs) And so I called my mama and I said, I'm getting married. She said, to who? I said, oh, this guy named Tom. And she's like, well, can I come? <laughs> when are you getting married? I said, oh, we'll get married in a couple weeks. And you know how we picked our wedding day? This is how far away from God Tom and I were. We looked on the calendar, and it was getting close to April. It was in March. And we looked at the calendar, and on the calendar, Friday, April the 9th, it, was, it said Good Friday. I thought, hey, makes sense to me. We'll get married on that day. It says it's a Good Friday. You see, all these great plans that we have for our lives outside of Jesus Christ are just great plans that we have for our life. And those plans make no sense to us. And you guys can sit here with me and laugh and chuckle about it. But the reality is, day in and day out, that's the way people live their lives. They look at a day on the calendar and they think, Good Friday, it's a great day to get married. I didn't know it changed from year to year. Who knew? Good Friday has not fallen on April night since the year we got married. But every other Friday, you feel me, April's been good still, right? But let's think about that. I was lucky enough to have parents who loved me and who took me to church. Had perfect attendance for 13 years. And yet I was only familiar with Jesus. I had no understanding of the gospel. In fact, I talk about the gospel... In this picture of a little bouncy ball. How many of you guys have ever had one of those little red bouncy balls? You can get them out of the gum machine. And for all the years of my life, that little ball, that little gospel, the little message that I went to church to hear, it was just like that little rubber ball. It would bounce into my life and then bounce right off. I'll never forget the first time I got saved. Went to the front being so afraid to go to hell i thought i don't want to go there i'll get saved how many of y'all have entered a relationship that way thinking man i don't want to go to hell that's not the outcome i want for my life but i really didn't know god went to the front got saved got baptized i was about 11 years old second time i got saved in my life i remember same feeling we had a guy come in he was preaching revival and I remember he talked about hell being a terrible place to go and, and a, an eternity of being there. And I remember being so afraid of that destination that I immediately repented for the second and I left church the same center that I walked in. I got baptized, but that gospel still didn't mean anything to my life. The good news about Jesus was still that same rubber ball that bounced in and out of my life, that bounced off of me but never stuck. And then, in 1994, my entire life changed. My grandmother died unexpectedly. How many of you guys know that God uses tragedy to shake us to our core? Many parts of me didn't even believe that there was a God. Many parts of me had all of these doubts in my mind. And I remember the moment my grandmother died, I was angry. I was a pretty angry person anyway before I met Jesus. And I wasn't very nice. I didn't do nice things for other people, it wasn't part of my DNA. And I remember my grandmother dying, and I got immediately angry with God. But you know what that does? It creates a problem in our life. Because if we're going to be angry with God, we have to admit He exists. (laughs) So I had a problem. In my wife, I had to admit that God existed, had a choice to make. Simply stated, just a choice, like we hear about in Deuteronomy. And I remember thinking, if I'm going to be mad at God, I guess I have to admit He exists. And God sent this woman into my life. I was still in the army at this time in my life, and I wasn't a very good soldier. Um, I was in the medical field in the army. I was an X-ray tech. And it's not the real army if you're in the medical field. I'm just going to say that. Unless my husband, he was a combat medic. He was in the real army. I was not. I wore a little white uniform. There was nothing about me that was army except for the paycheck I got every month. That was it. And I never forget after my grandmother's funeral, I got back and there was a new sergeant in town. And it was a woman. And she was mean. Her uniform was pressed. Her shoes were shined. And I knew immediately when I met her, I was in trouble. Because I was overweight and out of shape. And I didn't shine my shoes. didn't matter who was coming to do the inspection. It was just the way I was living my life. There was a lot of things I didn't care about. The only thing I did care about at that point in my life was me. And so... This young sergeant, every day after work, would stay a few minutes late. And she was just getting to know me. You know, I thought, this is really weird. I, I don't think I like this. I worked the second shift for a reason, because I didn't want to be around other people. I want to be by myself. She can go on home now. And so one day, I was particularly having a bad day. And like I said, my grandmother had just died. And I was sitting there, and we were talking. And she said, well, why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? Your dog tags clearly say that you are Baptist. You should have the great hope of seeing her again. And in that moment, I knew I had a choice to make. See, life is all about a series of choices that we make, both good and bad. And she said, tell me about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? And I said, well, the Bible says he's the son of God. And she said, don't you know, even the demons will say such. Who is Jesus to you? You went to church your whole life. You should be able to tell me who he is and what he does and how he's changed your life. And I didn't know what to say. Have any of you guys ever been there like you didn't know what to say? You couldn't answer the question? And I sat there and I said, I just don't know what you want me to say. And she went on for about 15 minutes about who Jesus was to her and how he had changed her life and how he was her best friend and that there had never been a situation that she had been in that he had not seen her through. And it was for the first time in my life that I heard about a real personal Jesus, a personal Messiah. And I remember after the end of that conversation, I just looked at her and I said, I don't know if you're stupid or crazy or if this is real, but that's what I need with my life. You're different than anybody I've ever met and I want that. See, that's Jesus. Jesus didn't come to change us to make us the same. He came to change us to make us different. And I kind of give you guys all of this background because day in and day out I sit across from young women who are familiar with Jesus. They honestly believe that because they went to church with their grandma that they're saved. They have no real knowledge that it is a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that changes them. See, I tried to fix myself. I still do that. I work out almost every day of my life, and then I eat cheeseburgers. I'm working real hard to fix myself. Ain't working. (laughs) See, that's the way many of us see the gospel. We see the gospel as simply a way to fix ourselves. See, God didn't come to fix any of us. He came to transform us. See, God didn't say, I want you to be just a little bit better. He said, I want you to be totally, totally different. And so many people say, well, that's, that's hard. We, we shouldn't really say that to people. Let me tell you something. The young women who come into Foothills Pregnancy Care Center... Two thirds of the young women who come to us for help are between the ages of 15 and 25. Two thirds. Now I'm getting ready to rock some of your worlds right now. I'm going to tell you something that when the moment I heard it myself, I had to just almost die on the inside just a little bit. Youngest client at our center, 12 years old. That hurts, doesn't it? I have 11 year old daughter. Don't think that God is not still waking me up every day with the tragedies of our community. See, God used the first tragedy of my life, the death of my grandmother, to shake me awake. And now he's using all of the tragedies of our community to continue to shake who I am from the inside out and say, it's not over, it's not done, it's not finished, and I am still transforming the lives of people around you. When I came to Foothills Pregnancy Care Center, I had been in church ministry for the last eight years. And there's a a real thing that we talk about in church ministry all the time, and it is salvations. How many people got saved? So my first day on the job at the Pregnancy Care Center, a little over a year ago, I walked in. My first question is, how many people got saved last year? And they looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, what are you talking about? And I thought, well, that's the first thing we correct. Correct. Because here's the reality. If it's not about leading people to the throne of Jesus Christ, I don't want to be a part of it because I know everything else is just trying to fix something that's broken. I don't want to fix things. I want to transform things. I want to be a part of that choice, that life-breathing choice that God has for each of our lives. Now let's think just for a moment about this book of Deuteronomy and about this scripture that we have before us where he says, I give you this choice... His choice between life and death, between blessing and prosperity. And then he says, oh, that you would choose life. See, we talk about life at the pregnancy care center as unborn babies. But here's what I believe with all of my heart. If we lead the mommy into a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we save the baby and we save that baby for many generations to come. Because you can't say yes to Jesus and say no to life. Because, see, Jesus is life. He declared it so in John chapter 14. All the other religious figures in all of the world, none of them had the courage to claim to be life, only Jesus. We can look everywhere else for hope, but there's only one real source of hope, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, when we really think about life and life being a choice, yes, life is simply a choice. Let me say this. If you have ever been in the situation in your life where maybe you had the choice to choose life and you didn't, I serve the God of the Great Eraser. You see, there's nothing you've done with your life that God can't fix. It's been my experience that the greatest tragedies of my life, God has used those things and made them the biggest successes. And maybe you were in the situation and you had the choice to choose between life and death and you chose death. It's okay. God loves you. He cares for you and He wants you to be made whole and you can be. See, abortion is a word that we don't like to use in the church. I had to get really comfortable with using it at the beginning of last year. Still not really comfortable with talking about it. But here's the reality. I'm going to give you some statistics now. And and I don't give these to, to make you guys hurt from the inside out. But I give you these statistics so you can understand that our enemy doesn't take any days off. Right? Our enemy works seven days a week, 24 hours a day, trying to convince people that this choice of abortion is the only choice that they have. 3,321 abortions performed every day in this country. I'm not talking about China, where abortions are mandated. I'm talking about our country, where abortion is a choice. Yes, life is just another choice. And so many times we throw that choice around as if it has no meaning. But let me tell you, every life matters. In Psalms 139, it says that He knit us together in our mother's wombs. That before He knew us, when we were formed in utter seclusion, He knew us. See, God is our God from the moment that we are created to the moment that we die. And every little place in between. He is our God who knew us. Who breathed life into us. When I think about life being a choice. I'm always reminded of this one thing. He chose you first. See God he chose you. He chose you from the moment that he breathed life into Adam. God chose you then. And then as if that wasn't enough. God chose you again. When he talked about that knitting you together in your mother's womb, that he knew you from the moment when you were formed in utter seclusion, he knew you then, he chose you then. And as if that wasn't enough, he sent his son Jesus and he said, No, 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 I really mean it. I really do choose you. And that's the choice between life and death that he's talking about. He's not talking about the fact that we choose him. He's talking about the fact that he chose you. From the foundations of the world, you meant something to him. Man, isn't God good? I love the fact that he chose me first. That he knew how crazy I was going to be, and he knew all the crazy choices I was going to make with my wife, and he chose me. The sheriff isn't here today, is he? I'm getting ready to admit to something. All right, let's make it sure. Thank you, Lord, he's not here. I don't think I think the statute of limitations is probably passed on what I'm getting ready to admit. But here's the thing I was that kid, right? I was the kid your parents warned you about, don't hang out with them. I was the kid I warned my daughter about, don't hang out with them. But I had this bad habit when I was young. You know, in the seventies and eighties and even into the nineties, there were those reflectors that you put on the sides of the road by your driveway, because it was dark at night and you couldn't see anything. I stole so many of them. Y'all just wouldn't believe when I moved away from home, my mama called me one day. She said, what are all these reflectors under your bed for? (laughs) Here's the thing. God chose me then. God chose me in the middle of all the bad decisions that I made for my life and of all the crazy things that I did. God chose me then. And every day, day in and day out, as these young women come into Foothills Pregnancy Care Center, we say, God chooses you right now, just like you are. You may see this as the greatest mistake that you've ever made with your life, but I'm telling you, God, He turns tragedy, this tragedy, He turns it into beauty. And if you would choose life today, God's going to show you something greater in your life. And just this one little thing that we did last year differently at the Pregnancy Care Center, here in Oconee County, we saw over 700 clients last year in our center. That's just mind-numbing, isn't it? Overwhelming that that many people need our help because they're pregnant and they didn't expect to be. So those 700 clients that we had last year, seven of them crossed over from the line of death to life. Seven of them said, I never even heard of Jesus. Can you imagine that? We live in Oconee County and people don't even know the name of Jesus. And they raised their hands and they said, I want a relationship with him. And I want it to change every part of my life. Seven women got saved last year. That's crazy to me. Right? Let's talk about legality and morality. How many of you guys know those two things don't mean the same thing? See, in our society, abortion is legal. But it is not moral. And it is not moral not because of us. We don't have anything to do with life. Life is all about God. See, every life is holy and entitled to respect, not because of us, but because of God. Because God breathed life into every one of us from the moment of conception. It's a real person. Think about this. Last year, of the 700 people who came through our doors, now many of the people who come through our doors, they already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you guys have made a mistake since you got saved? How many of you guys made a mistake since you woke up this morning? Yeah. I'm usually a a two-cup-of-coffee-a-person kind of girl. I've had four today, so y'all just buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be all right. Probably talking real fast. It's okay. But think about this. Of the 700 women who came into our center, 231 of them walked in with the perception that because abortion is legal, abortion is moral. And for 231 conversations, we sat with these young women and we were able to show them through the Scripture that every life is holy and entitled to respect. And 231 times, they changed their mind. See, that's what you call winning the battle. See, we, here's what I know. We can't save everybody, but we can save the next one that comes in the door. And that's the one I'm worried about. That's the one I'm consumed about. That's where my fire and passion comes from. Four women walked into our center last year having been familiar with Jesus. Just like me. The gospel had been that boomerang in their life. They'd bounce it off and it didn't mean nothing. And last year, four times, four women who thought that they actually knew Jesus stepped over the line and said, you know what, I didn't really know him at all. And that little rubber ball went from something that bounced off their life to the bullet that penetrated their heart and they've no longer been the same. Man, I can't do that. Let me just say, I don't have anything to do with the gospel changing people. God did that. And see, that's where we're going next. Life is simply a choice. We can't make everybody choose life even though we want to. We can't. But life is simply a choice. It's like every other choice that we make with our lives. Sometimes we make good ones and sometimes we make bad ones. God's able to use those bad choices to change us and transform us much better than he is the good ones. Because see, when I make a good choice, I think I made a good choice. I love to reward myself when I make good choices. Yesterday I rode my bicycle for 30 miles. Yes, 30 miles. I am currently training for a three-day, 300-mile bike event that our center puts on. I rode 100 miles last year in one day. It took me the whole day. It was like a nine-to-five kind of deal. And I was on that bicycle yesterday, and I hadn't ridden all winter because I don't like cold weather. And so yesterday was one of the first days that I have ridden all year. What do y'all think? I got off that bicycle. Did I get off there praising Jesus yesterday? No. No. But I woke up this morning thinking, man, I made a good choice to do that. See, sometimes in the moment, life gets difficult. And we think we can't make these great choices. I have a group of two other women that I ride with. And I have to be honest with you, if they hadn't have been with me yesterday, I would have quit on several different occasions. See, life isn't meant to be done alone. And so many of our young women who come into this center, they feel like they're all alone. They feel like, look, let me tell you, 95%, here's another number for you to understand, 95% of the young women who come to Foothills Pregnancy Care Center come from a single-parent environment. And it's not that our moms aren't doing the very best they can to raise these children. Here's the problem. When they've never had a man in their life who loves them unconditionally for just who they are. Not because of what they've done. They will make a mistake. Because the first guy who makes eye contact and says, I love you. They really do fall in love with him. And they make a mistake that there's no way to ever change. You can't give yourself away but one time, ladies, young girls. I hope you're listening. And God meant for that to be a forever choice. And He meant it to be a forever choice, not because God is crazy, but because He knows what's best for us. See, I love I love choice. Man, I love going to a restaurant and they got 500 things on the menu. I love it. But most of the time, I can't choose just one thing. Right when there's so many choices, and then I choose one thing, and I think, man, I wish I'd have chose something else. See, that's the danger of comparison. And when you get yourself in a situation where you're giving yourself away and away and away and away, you live a life based on comparison. It's not what God intended for marriage. Every life is holy and entitled to respect. Life is simply a choice. The last thing I want to talk about today is that life is the greatest invitation. Man. In verse 19, he said, Oh, that you would choose life. You remember we talked about the fact that God said, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. I really mean it. Here's my son Jesus. I choose you again. But the greatest invitation is that you would choose him. Oh, that you would choose life that you would do that. See, life is a choice of promise. And I'm not just talking about choosing babies and saving women from the tragedy of abortion. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about real life. I'm talking about the fact that He wants you to choose Him to be your forever Jesus. See, you remember when that young woman, LaVon... When The day she led me to the feet of the throne of the Lord Jesus, she talked to me for about 15 minutes about who Jesus was to her. And I just remember thinking, man, if I could just have just a little bit of that. If anybody ever asked me who Jesus was again, if I could just tell them. Man, I'm telling you, I could stand here all day and tell you everything that Jesus has been to me. He's been my refuge, my source of strength. He's been my ever-present help in time of need. He's been my friend when I thought I did not have any. I used to think that to lead somebody to Jesus, you had to know it all. Here's what what I know. You just got to know more than they do. Leading people to Jesus is not difficult. And most of them don't know anything. I, I tell my daughter this all the time. I promised her I wouldn't embarrass her too much today. But I tell her all the time when we talk about her little friends at school, I said, here's what you need to know. They are as stupid as you are about this subject. Right? They don't know anything more than you know. Here's the thing. God's going to put people in front of you who don't know more than you. They know less. And they don't want you to stand there and hold your Bible up and say, well, this is what the Bible says. They want you to be challenged to say, this is what God showed me. When I was at the end of my rope and I didn't know what to do, all they wanted me to say was that God loved me and He made a way where there seemed to be no way. He takes roads that look impossible and He makes them possible. I really can't tell you how God did it, but He did it. There was this one time early in our marriage and Tom and I had just... Um, Both got saved. It's so funny. I got saved, and then a couple of weeks later, he got saved. But I never forget when I came home and I told Tom that I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Tom said, Oh, I know all about church. He said, I've been three times in my life, and every time I've gone, they've talked about Job. I thought, Whew, he got the bad part. (laughs) He didn't get that whole God loves you thing at the end. And I thought, man, if this guy ever comes to know Jesus, it'll be a flat out miracle. Now, I'll never forget, there was this invitation that was given. Tom and I, uh, I wasn't going to church, I was going to church and Tom wasn't. And I went to him one day and I said, I'll go to church wherever you want to go. See, I'd been going to a church I was comfortable with, right? And I said, he said, won't we try this church up the street? So we showed up that morning to church. And here's the funny thing the pastor wasn't preaching. There's a guy named Jim Ripley, and he was preaching a revival there that day. And I'll never forget, at the end of the service, I looked at him like, Did you like it? You know, I was, I was expecting some kind of response, you know. And he said, Well, I think we ought to come back tonight. That same guy's is going to be speaking again tonight. I thought, Sounds good to me. We'll go back tonight. We went back Monday night and Tuesday night. Well, Wednesday night was the last night of revival, and I had to work late. And I couldn't go. And I remember this was before the day of cell phones, okay? I, some of y'all don't even know that there was a day before cell phones. There was! this was the day before cell phones. And I remember thinking while I was at work, I was like, I wonder if he went. I wonder if he went without me. I wonder. I wonder. And I began to pray just over and over that God would just do something crazy that night. And I got home and there was no Tom. Sat there for about an hour. No time. I thought, where is he at? Is he coming home? What's going on? And I began to pray once again. It's the first time and I think the only time in my life I've really heard, like, God speak to me. Like, some, some of y'all God speaks to all the time. But God doesn't speak to me all the time. But God spoke to me this night and I was praying and I was just asking God to lead Tom in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And God said to me, Why are you already praying for what I've accomplished? And Tom walked in the door and he's like, You not know, going can believe what I said. Oh, I know. God told me. He's like, God told you. (laughs) Probably not the best first conversation to have with your newly saved husband. But here's the thing I want you guys to know today. That invitation for each of us looks very different. See, that invitation to come to know Jesus was extended to me over the years a million times. And it didn't make any sense in my life. Remember I told you about all those great plans I had for my life? See, none of those plans made any sense until I asked God what His plan was for my life. And that's what we're all about at Foothills Pregnancy Care Center. That's it. Here's what I know. We can either be concerned about fixing things or we can be concerned about transforming things, but we can't be concerned about both. And I'm tired of fixing things. Because every fix that I've ever had in my life has been temporary. I have lost the same 10 pounds 150 times. I'm going for my own personal Guinness Book of Records. But when I really got saved, it only took once. And see, that's what Foothills Pregnancy Care Center is, really the heartbeat of who we are. It's just about leading mommies to Jesus. And I believe that if we bleed mommies to Jesus, we invite them into that greatest invitation ever, oh, that you would choose life. He's not talking about choosing the life of the baby. He's talking about Jesus right there. Remember, I said in John, Jesus claimed to be life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right there, he's talking about Jesus. Before Jesus ever took one step on planet Earth, he's saying, oh, that you would choose him. And that's where you are today. Some of you are sitting here thinking, this is not what I thought today was going to be like. South Carolina, last year, there were 9,741 abortions. That's about 27 a day. South Carolina! Didn't the whole gospel start here anyway? Come on now. Church on every corner. It's time that we move from being familiar with Jesus to the place where we know him. Because if our community, here's what I really believe. If our community gets really excited about the gospel, if we get really excited about life, we could end abortion in our community in the next 10 years. End it. We won't do it by changing the law. The law didn't work. We'll do it by changing people's hearts. It is the gospel that has the power to transform lives, and that's it. It is Jesus, period. And what our church, not just your church, but our church, when I talk about our church, I talk about the body of Jesus Christ, I've been in churches Sunday in, Sunday out since about the end of November, sharing the good news about what Foothills Pregnancy Care Center is doing. And here's been my challenge in every church: get excited about Jesus, because if you do, they will. Nobody ever got saved by somebody who was barely excited about Jesus. I've met one. Hadn't met one. Get excited. We win. Then the last book, I don't understand it all, but I understand the part at the very end where it says we win. We can do this together. I can't do it alone. Over and over. I'm just telling you, I have no idea what I'm doing. I took this job last year. I didn't even know what the sanctity of human life meant. Had to look up the word sanctity in the dictionary. I don't know what I'm doing. But I know Jesus and He knows what to do. Let's just follow Him. Let's do something. Let's be something to our community. And let's just be committed to it. Let's be so committed to it that in our schools and in our churches, that if anybody asks us what life is, we can say, it's Jesus. Life is Jesus. Jesus. My whole life prior to knowing Jesus, and I'm going to end right here. My whole life prior to knowing Jesus was meaningless. I thought I was having the best time of my life. People saw me, they called me Fun Kelly. Everywhere I went, it was just the life of the party. Just from one moment to the other moment of my life. And let me tell you something. This Kelly... This person I've become today, I'm more fun than I've ever been. I love nothing better than a good laugh and a big old piece of chocolate cake with a glass of milk. I'm still fun, Kelly. But God changed what I view as fun. The things that I used to believe is beneficial and profitable, I look at those now and I think, man, the Bible's so right. The Bible says that there seems to be a way of life... To each and every one of us, but the end of it leads to death. (coughs) Some of you guys are standing right there today. (coughs) Don't let the day pass you by. (coughs) Let's pray. (coughs) God, we love you. We don't deserve to be called your children. We love you. Rescue us from those thoughts that we have about ourselves, God. Help us put ourselves way down low and put you way up high. Show us who you are. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I pray that if there's a person here today who doesn't know you, that this would be their day. That they wouldn't let that choice pass them by that you would show them real life. God, I pray right now that if there are people in here who are looking at that choice between life and death, that they would choose life. It is our greatest invitation. It is the one place where we become everything you've called us to be. God, I pray right now that you would begin to show us your plan for our life and not our own. That you would be glorified in our plans. God, I pray that you would use your word to change our lives. God, that all those little parts of our lives that we think we have to have just perfect, that you would show us it's not about being perfect, but it's about being yours. God, I pray right now that you would just wrap us with your love, that you would put people in front of us who don't know you, or maybe they think they know you and they really don't. God, let us have a willingness to share your word, because it is what changes lives. God, I pray for each and every client who comes into Foothills Pregnancy Care Center this week. God, I pray that you would begin to open up the eyes of those young women's, that you would open their hearts, that they would come ready to hear something different because, God, I know they're desperate for different. They don't want what they already have. They want what they don't have. God, help us give them what they don't have. Help us give them, Jesus. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the stand that they've taken for life. I thank you for how they have supported us and held our arms high. God, I pray that you would, within this church, just begin to do a great work of God. God, I thank you because this church is growing in a time where many churches are dying. I pray that you would bless them abundantly. God, let it start here. Revive this nation, revive this church, revive our lives and this community, and let it start here. Let it start here with these people that I love so much. And I thank you, God, because you are just... You're just God, and I'm not. And I ask that you do incredible things in Jesus' name. Amen.